Welcome back to the Texas Sports Nation podcast with Danielle Lerner. I'm Jonathan Fagan. And the Rockets are back from a five-game road trip where they won some games. Uh, not a lot of them, but they won more than they lost, went three and two. I think more importantly, we'll see what it means, but it does look like they're getting better, and that is the whole idea. It does. I think that game-to-game improvement is really all you can ask for when you know, you're know you still under 20 wins, as the, the Rockets are sitting at 14 right now. And as you said, they won more games than they lost, so that's always a victory coming off a road trip. But I think the defense was probably what grew the most. Well, that and the starts, you know, they were just terrible in the first quarter of the three home losses, and they led at the end of the first quarter, scoring a lot of points, almost 40 a quarter, about 36, 37 a quarter in the first quarters of all five games, took a lead into the second quarter of all five. So getting off to better starts was a a big improvement. Now the caveat, you know, I'll be the Debbie Downer here. They were playing five teams that were shorthanded. Spurs, Kings twice, Jazz playing without Donovan Mitchell, and Warriors playing without Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. You know, everything is about what it leads to with this team. Well, now there's a four-game homestand starting just like the road trip did, starting against the Spurs, who are now more together, have their guys back. Keldon Johnson played in that first game, but he was just back, didn't have a big role We'll see now. Are they really making these strides? Are they getting better? They have shown signs. And that's, as you said, that's what they're trying to do is just improve. Well, and to be, I guess, a a Danielle Downer, the caveat also of them building those early leads was that they managed to give them away. They had really bad second quarters in both of the games against the Spurs, even or against the Kings, I'm sorry, um, even the game that they won. And then against the Warriors, had a very, very bad third quarter where they let the Warriors come back and go into the fourth quarter with a score tied. So they are still bound to have kind of those lapses in games, and it's just kind of a test as to whether they can withstand those types of lapses or whether those are going to ultimately continue to be their undoing. Yeah, I, I think to a degree their bench should produce more than it has on that road trip, and I think that it will would account for the poor second quarters. You know, I think Alperin Shinkun isn't all the way back. His ankle is 100%, but his game isn't. I think that will happen. Uh, although I notice we're not hearing the cries for he should be playing 32 minutes a game right now, or even the 28 minutes or whatever people were demanding, because he's been struggling in his four games back. I think that's a temporary condition. I think he's going to be fine. There's a little rookie wall going on, and we'll get into that in a minute in a, in a more important area. But there's a little rookie wall going, and the second unit hasn't been great. It's been a sore spot, which led to those poor stretches. But I guess we might as well get into it. Jalen Green, absolutely struggling offensively. He is just not hitting shots. Is it more than that? Is it more than, hey, sometimes the shots go, sometimes they don't? I think that actually while his shots aren't falling, in general, he's been playing within the offense much better than he was even the the first few games back from his injury where, and of course, you know, he was scoring like 20 points a game. But I think that his understanding of how to play off of ball screens, his understanding of 
how to even just not be a, a catch and shoot type of guy, but um, kind of play off of other actions and initiate secondary actions within the offense has gotten better. It's just that he's not finishing those those shots inside uh, through contact as he was a couple weeks ago, and then the threes aren't falling either. So I don't think this is like a huge red flag moment, but it, of course it's never good to look at the box score and see 0 for 11 like he did in San Francisco the other night. Like that's not a pretty stat line, but he also had some really clutch offensive rebounds in that game, just as he did in Sacramento the couple days before. So it's kind of a give and take of looking at the other areas of growth, even as his shooting has slumped. Steven Silas made that point uh, the last few days that, oh, he's not playing bad. He's shooting bad. But a couple big offensive rebounds, a nice defensive possession against Steph Curry. Okay, but 0 for 11? Yeah, did a few good things. He had some nice possessions. But uh, 0 for 11? You know, that, that's rough. That, that's, that's a tough stretch, which doesn't matter. What matters is how he responds to it. Does he make either an adjustment to be able to get some shots or to get to the line, which is how I think as a more veteran guy he would do in a tough stretch like that? Or does it get to him? Does he start pressing? Is that what we have seen? Was he already pressing and sort of aiming instead of just shooting? Uh, and at the rim, is is he avoiding the contact rather than just go in there and go get fouled and get to the line? Uh, which he was doing for a while. And so I think these are the ups and downs that come with such a young guy. I don't think the Rockets are worried about it at all, but it is a stretch he has to learn from. It has to be something that helps him develop. Um, And I think, as with everything, that's what we'll see to a large degree in this next four-game homestand. How does he respond to a tough shooting stretch? Well, it's interesting because I had a conversation with him um, before the the two games in Sacramento. This was coming off the game in San Antonio that the Rockets won, but he also he didn't have a great shooting night there also either. And so I had a conversation with him that was all about when you have an off night like that. And that was a game in which I think he had something like eight rebounds. So he really did. You know, it wasn't just one or two good rebounds that he made. That, that was a game where he got to the free throw line a lot. He got a lot of rebounds. He definitely made up for it in other areas in the box score. But I said, like, when that happens, how do you internalize that type of performance? And is there anything that you do differently the next day, either by yourself or with the coaching staff to help and move on from that? And he said, you know, I I think that I have gotten better at responding to tough outings since I've been in the NBA. and, And it's something that You know, when you're in high school and you're like the best of the best, like he's not really having off nights very often. Or if he does have an inefficient night, he's still scoring 30 something points here. It's not like that. And so he said that the coaching staff has been very intentional with telling him, like, yes, we're going to fix your mistakes. But it's not something where they sat down after that Spurs game and went down over every single little detail. And we're like, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did wrong. They're not that worried about harping on the errors they just want to make sure that mentally like you said he can still be confident in himself and overcome that you know he has a little bit of a backlog of success you know in in the 13 games prior to these last two where he went three of 24 in the last two uh, he shot 43.1 percent you know average 16.2 uh over a 13 game stretch at 
so he's had some success. He can feel good, like, okay, this is the aberration. I can get it going. And the one thing I think people who watch and who are listening to us today have to also understand, none of it matters. <laughs> the only It's all about how he grows from it, because they knew this when they drafted him. He is a, a slight teenage guy with a world of talent and a great attitude. Those are the things that they were drafting. They weren't drafting for what he will do this year. What this year does not matter. And so I think and because of that, there can be no conclusions drawn. None, uh, unless those things weren't true, unless he had a, a bad attitude or was living the life and not working to be all that the Rockets hope he can be. If that was the case, then you got something to worry about. But it's not the case. He, he is as driven as they hoped, as what they, they foresaw in him when they drafted him. So a stretch of poor shooting is irrelevant when you're a team that's last in the Western Conference, third worst record in the league. This year is not the point. It's about what will be. So I've beaten that to death, but I, I do see people trying to, you know, you can't help it. You can't help but be a fan, watch and go, oh my gosh, is it the wrong guy? And, you know, watch Evan Mobley, oh my gosh. Yeah, under Totally understandable, but not right either. Well, and I thought it was funny because I had... I tweeted the morning of the Golden State game a video from shoot around of John Lucas working with Jalen on a shooting drill where he was picking the ball up off of the the ground and going into shooting motion with the goal of that drill, of course, being to use your legs and to make your motion incredibly fluid. And people were going back to that after the game and saying like, oh, see, he went 0 for 11 because he was doing this this drill that obviously didn't help him at all. And they should totally negate this drill. And it's like, you can't you can't overanalyze one performance and you can't do cause and effect in that way. No, the drills he does now could really make a difference in, you know, 20, 25, 26 season. You know, it's just, it, that's crazy. You know, it's sort of like, you know, if you go to the gym and work out hard and you lift a bunch of weights and you go out and get in a fight with a linebacker and he beats you up, you say, ah, you know what, this gym stinks. <laughs> he beat the crap out of me. It doesn't really work like that. And I think most people know it, but it's no fun to be a fan if you don't get emotional. And so, you know what, why not get, get emotional and overreact and... That's that's a fan's right, in my opinion. You and I can't do that. We gave that up. That is absolutely the right of a fan. But it also makes no sense, as you said. You know, no, it, it doesn't work like that. And if anybody's listening and you do work out hard today, don't get in a fight after the gym. Don't, don't, don't do it. it. It won't work out well for you. And you shouldn't get in a fight anyway. But uh, yeah, that's my little sermon because it, it, it's pretty obvious even though there are more teenagers in the NBA and some are succeeding young, they are still teenagers. The notion of judging someone, you know, before he's old enough to, to let's say, buy a beer, uh, or if he could fake it and get in for <laughs> get in the movies cheaper. In Jalen's case, despite the fact that he's six six, he could probably say he's a, a cheaper and get in the movies or younger to get in the movies. Don't judge yet. Uh, the team, though, you do want to see growth as a group, to sound like Steven Silas. 
You ever notice that? He says as a group a lot. A lot. As far as and as a group. You know, that's the thing is we, we always sort of get into this, you know, sports writers being sport writer stuff on our podcasts. But when you transcribe everything people say, you notice all their little verbal tics. And if there was ever a drinking game over as far as with Stephen Silas, we, we'd all be dead. <laughs> we, we wouldn't survive it. That's his. They all have it. Every time James Harden tells the New York media or whatnot, I, I still laugh. That, that was his. You know, uh, try to get up a lot of shots, get to the line and whatnot. And uh, that, that's the one for him that always makes me laugh. But with one of the ones with Stephen Silas is the group, not the team or the guys, whatever, the group. That's what you can judge is how the group is developing. And the group is doing okay. The group is, I mean, a little better. Yeah, I think the this upcoming homestand where you have uh, San Antonio, Portland, the Warriors again, and then Cleveland. Of course, the Spurs are our team that they already beat. The Cavs are a team that they played already uh, on the road and lost to. Same with Golden State. So there is some opportunity to measure growth. You know, I don't think in the span of a few weeks you can you can overanalyze too much but you know that's why we do this podcast I guess is to overanalyze some things but I think those will be interesting just to see how those first games against those teams compare to where they are at now the other thing that we'll see we're now two weeks and two days by the time folks are listening to this from the trade deadline which we have spoken about every week and you know one of the things you and I have talked about is the Rockets they're viewed as a seller and in some ways, of course, they are, but they're not in the traditional sense in that there's no pressure to make the moves that teams in their situation normally feel in that they don't have guys in the last year of the contract who you better trade them now or they'll leave them for nothing. They're not in the last year of the contracts, you know, except maybe to a degree DJ Augustine, who has a mostly non-guaranteed year left after this. So you could treat that like an expiring contract, but you're not getting much of anything for him now. So there's not like the pressure, ooh, I've got to get what I can for DJ Augustine while I can. And there certainly isn't that for their bigger contracts, the Eric Gordon, Christian Wood contracts. They're not at the end of their deal. You don't have to do it while you can. Uh, there was a report, uh, Mark Stein, who writes on Substack now, uh, veteran NBA guy, uh, wrote that the Rockets would do Russell Westbrook for John Wall if the Lakers attached their 2027 first-round pick. John Wall wouldn't actually play for the Rockets any more than, I'm sorry, Russell Westbrook wouldn't play for the Rockets any more than John Wall is, but they would do it for the pick. Uh, I think that's absolutely true, assuming the pick is not protected. I also don't think the Rockets mind waiting till 2027. In some ways, that's advantageous when you've got this many really young guys. They drafted four teenagers last draft. They had K.J. Martin from the previous draft. Uh, Shangun, Christopher, and Martin have progressed ahead of what the Rockets would have forecast. They don't need to bring in a whole bunch more guys next year who won't get to play. Uh, they have two first-round picks. So pushing a pick that they're getting till 2027, that's pretty good. But the big thing with the Rockets is unprotected. You know, 
All that said, Stein wrote, and I believe it's very, very unlikely to happen. <laughs> and so set it up as, ah, watch for this. This could be good. He called it unlikely. I believe it is unlikely because I don't think Rob Palenka is ready to pull the trigger on that uh, and start the whole process of adjusting to John Wall again. But that was pretty exciting kind of conversation anyway. It would be good for us. It would give us a new angle to write about. Exactly. Part of the fun of, of trade deadline season is just the, the speculation and seeing uh, the, the different deals that people are kind of pushing out there. But this, this may be a futile question given that, you know, we are still a couple weeks away um, and so much would depend on details of any deals that te- other teams brought to the Rockets. But at this point, because as you mentioned, the Rockets don't have a lot of pressure on them to make moves. Do you think it is more likely than not that Eric Gordon and Christian Wood remain in Houston after the deadline? And we've said on the podcast a lot, I think certainly more likely in both cases, it would probably take just about a godfather offer um, because there's value to the Rockets of different sorts. And again, they're not expiring contracts. And so the Rockets can see how it pans out. Well, let's say first Christian Wood, how it pans out as they develop uh, and whatever they can get in the off season where they can probably make a better deal for someone like that. You have to build around and fit him in. He's not a guy who just steps into any team and is just as good with each team equally. Some teams it's a better fit than with others. While Eric Gordon can go to anybody and and fit. You know, he he's that versatile. Uh, he could play with the ball in his hands, he can catch and shoot, he could defend it in a variety of positions. Christian's not that. Christian would is better in some fits than others, which makes it more likely you can get the better deal in the offseason. Plus, he's a low mileage 26. If you do decide to keep him, he can still fit with the young guys better than 33-year-old Eric Gordon can. The other thing with Eric is, again, everything is about growth and development. They absolutely—I wrote this when we looked at the trade deadline a month out, and it's still true— They absolutely believe he has helped development around him. He is such a professional, and he plays in such a professional way. If you watch him defensively, it is so textbook. It is not flashy at all. It's just, this is the way you're supposed to do it. They think that has been a very good influence on the people around him. They don't hate the idea of keeping him around. Uh, and it's not like he's not he's not P.J. Tucker last year who really wanted out. That's not been Eric. And so if the right offer came, they would do it. But it takes much more for an offer to be viewed as right. I did put a line in the story that for a few days from now, so it's for Thursday, if the Rockets want to trade Eric Gordon, what they really need to do is make a trade with the 2016-17 Rockets. That team would make a move. The the team that was willing to always put their chips in the middle of the table, that's the team Rafael Stone needs to call. Unfortunately, it's a little hard to call himself from four years ago. Uh, but I, I don't get why, t- to me, teams should be willing to make the Rockets that kind of deal, but I don't see them doing it. Well, the other thing I wanted to, to ask you about, um, because I thought it was really interesting, was the story that you wrote today, given that I think this podcast will post 
before this Spurs Rockets game tomorrow night about Kevin Porter Jr. and his old Seattle buddy, DeJounte Murray. Well, they are buddies. Uh, DeJounte Murray is, is something of a role model uh, to what Kevin Porter Jr. refers to as his big brother. They both went to Rainier Beach High School. They both come from a very tough area of the South End of Seattle, is, is what they refer to it as South End Seattle. It's a rough area, a, a lot of gang activity, a, a lot of arrests and, and violence, and, and they both had people very close to them arrested and jailed, and they both had people in their lives who died. Of course, Kevin Porter Jr.'s father died, and, you know, very tough upbringing. And they share that and believe that they have triumphed, and of course they have, but think about it as it relates to one another, that they've triumphed over that. They've succeeded. They made it out, and, and they're successful. And absolutely, Dushante Murray, the way he has continued to blossom to an all-star caliber player, and he really is that, and he's gone through the tough love portion of, of being a point guard for Greg Popovich, and in his case, the successor in that role to Tony Parker. That is a great example for Kevin Porter Jr., one that he is very aware of, as is DeJounte Murray. Uh, it meant so much to, to Kevin Porter Jr. when he had that big fourth quarter. Well, Murray was dominant in that game. His, probably his best individual performance of the year, a triple-double with a season-high 32 points. But Kevin Porter went four for four, scored 12 points, including the game winner in the fourth quarter uh, in the win against San Antonio. That meant so much to him that it was in a matchup with Murray, uh, more than even if it was against some of the great point guards that he goes against, because it's Dujante Murray, that they both made it out of there. And, you know, I, I, we keep going back to this. The, the, yes, there's been some rough moments in Kevin Porter Jr.'s first three years in the NBA. And he's acknowledged that. But when you consider what he's gone through in life, his willingness to address and work on those things, you know, to me, tip of the cap to the guy, not write him off. I don't think he's a guy you view as irredeemable. Quite the opposite. I think he's a guy trying to grow and showing signs that he is. And you, it, it as we were talking about with Jalen Green missing shots, it's how he responds. Well, with Kevin Porter Jr.'s missteps, it's how he responds. And it appears that he's responding very well. I think you're absolutely right. And that's what the Rockets are looking for is, is progression, not just in terms of how these guys play on the court, but emotionally, mentally, their, their growth. Um, when you have a team that's this young, that part of it, that maturation is as important as new skills that they learn on the basketball court. Sure. And in his case, I think he takes responsibility for how his team plays. Like he, and I, I believe you quoted him on that uh, in Sacramento about how, as the point guard, it's up to me. Poise was the word that he used. And I think that's an attitude that's tremendously valuable. You were saying he was talking about poise. Yeah. Poise uh, is the word that he used over and over again to kind of describe what he wants to be able to bring to the Rockets and what he thinks the Rockets as a whole need to possess in order to be able to, to finish close games. And I think that's absolutely on the nose. 
Uh, he's right, and he has shown that. And the Rockets in close games have been weirdly good compared to how they've been in the, so many others. For a team sitting where they are to be so good in close games, they have had that. In fact, if anything, and sometimes he's been a little too casual, which I think he has improved upon. Uh, but they have had that. But to me, it's so much of it is about just his feeling of it's not enough for him to get numbers or make big shots that he's responsible for how his team performs as a whole. I thought that was a very good sign. And then having that backlog of making big shots that win games, he's not going to make them all. And he didn't. He missed the one going to his right in Golden State. But when the Rockets do judge themselves by what the scoreboard says, to be able to pull on that in his mind and have the confidence of, yeah, I have done this. I have hit those shots. I think in the coming years, that will be valuable as well. Absolutely. I mean, you see that all the time in guys who are big in clutch situations. Of course, Steph Curry is one of them, which, by the way, kind of unbelievable that the shot he hit against the Rockets was his first actual buzzer-beating game winner of his career. He's had plenty of clutch shots in the final moments that technically were the game winner, but not like at the buzzer, like the one against the Rockets. That was the first one. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. It was interesting in so many ways. It was interesting. The Rockets didn't rush a double team over to him as the clock got down to its final ticks, but the spacing was so good. It was a long way to go to get there. And they they had shooters on the court. That guy, if they had come earlier, somebody else could have hit the game winner. And I thought the look Garrison Matthews had was really good. I thought to go up three, put it was every bit as good as the shots Kevin Porter Jr. hit in Washington and San Antonio and Salt Lake City. Uh, it's a good thing that he hit the shot in Washington too, because otherwise we'd have to be asking each other if they only win games in cities that start with an S. Uh, Sacramento, Salt Lake City, and uh, San Antonio. So, no, that's not a concern. They, they did hit the shot in Washington. Thank God uh, we dodged that bullet. I thought the shot Garrison Matthews had, you know, he was having to go to his left right-handed shooter, but I thought it was a great look to try and finish that road trip with a win. And that's the thing, is if you're only going to win the really close games, they are by nature 50-50. They could go either way. They need a few easier wins, too. You can't only win on a last-second shot. If nothing else proves that, the fact that Stephen Curry's gone all this long and he finally has his first buzzer beater shows you can't only win on a last-second shot. Exactly. So we'll see if some of the, the games this week have wins that are easier to come by. But You think they will? Portland? Portland's playing way better. Oh, my gosh. They've, they've turned it around with... with Damien, uh, I don't know, turned it around, but they're playing much better and look like they might be turning it around. Uh, Golden State coming back. Uh, it, it's definitely not a, a gimme of a homestand. And San Antonio is struggling like crazy, but uh, you have COVID go through your whole roster. Of course, you're going to struggle like crazy. Uh, now they're starting to get back together. McDermott's back. Didn't play against the Rockets. Kelton Johnson is really good. Uh, and DeJounte Murray... His last arguments to be put on the all-star team somewhere. It's a, it's a good homestand uh, to measure where they, where they are. And on that note, we will talk about it again next Tuesday. 
probably we touched on trade deadline this time. We'll probably get into it a whole lot more then. And do you know what else we can do is, is sort of talk all-star too, because the all-star starters will be out Thursday. That's not terribly interesting because you can look at the voting. But heading into the picking of the reserves, that's when it starts to get good. We'll be back with that and more next Tuesday. For Danielle Lerner, I'm Jonathan Fagan. Thanks for listening. There every Tuesday on HoustonChronicle.com or wherever you get your podcasts, as podcasters like to say. Talk with you again next week.